Catherine Kendall lives in New Jersey with her husband and her 10-year-old son, Calvin. Calvin is a highly creative and imaginative kid, and he and his mom have a special connection over RuPaul's Drag Race, the American reality competition TV series searching for America's next drag superstar. Drag Race is our thing. RuPaul's Drag Race. We watch it together. We've watched it for so many years. Calvin has an encyclopedic memory of all the contestants. We watch reruns. We drive my husband crazy watching reruns. Catherine noticed that recently, Calvin has been feeling a little down. With the reality of the pandemic and stay-at-home orders, he's just old enough to feel complex emotions about what's going on, but still too young to know how to process them. He's Calvin is 10 and he understands what's going on more than most kids. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not hard for him. And especially with children's emotions, like this pandemic, you're asking them to color something with 108 crayons, but they've got a box of 10 as far as emotions. He misses going to his martial arts class. He misses normalcy. He misses his friends going to school. We're doing these weird Zoom play dates. It all feels unnatural. And what, he had a day where it just all got to him. And he was crying out of loneliness. And that just, that got to me. That's when Catherine got the idea to cheer Calvin up with a cameo. If you're not familiar with Cameo, it works like this. You either go to the website or to the app, and you have the option to browse through thousands of celebrities in film, TV, sports, and social media. Stars from today, stars from 20 years ago, it doesn't matter. If you're looking for someone, chances are they're there. And you can pay a celebrity to make a personalized video for you or a loved one, a friend, a colleague, whoever. People have bought celebrity cameos as birthday gifts, as love notes, breakup messages, cameos to tell their bosses that they're quitting their jobs or to tell their parents to stay home during a time of COVID. You can buy a cameo for any occasion from almost any celebrity, and they cost anywhere from $5 to $2,500 and up. Catherine realized that she could buy a very special cameo for Calvin, one that would mean something to him. I found a contestant who was on in the earlier seasons of Drag Race, Tatiana. And Calvin and I love, we always rooted for Tatiana. And even we even use catchphrases of Tatiana's which, with each other. So it's, it's kind of become not it, it, like an inside joke with us. And I saw that Tatiana was on there. Tatiana's probably not, since she was an earlier contestant, um, doesn't have the, that same level of probably fame as more recent winners. So I thought I would take a chance. And I thought, well, I'll write a note on Cameo and kind of and explain this is going to a young fan. Hi, Calvin. It's Tatiana. Just wanted to check on you and see how you're doing. Um, I know that this whole quarantine thing is scary and it really kind of sucks, um, but we're going to get through it. Everything's going to go back to normal pretty soon. Calvin just was gotta, just, you know, just surprised and in, in, in awe. I think he was, he was so surprised. I don't know, I think he knew what to really make of it. His spirits were definitely lifted. It's just like a little bit of a, a, sugar, a sugar pill. Is that, <laughs> that just kind of, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a treat. I never, and I didn't expect it to you know, completely change his outlook on the pandemic, but there's a connection there. And it's not just a connection between Calvin and Tatiana. It's, it's almost like a connection between Calvin and Tatiana and, and with me. This week on Unseen Unknown, we're going to explore the nature of celebrity culture, the rise of the influencer brand, and how we form digital tribes around the personas, characters, and heroes that are becoming increasingly easier to touch through social media and technology. 
We all feel connected to a public figure that we don't know in real life. A TV star we might love, an athlete we feel bonded to, or even a politician we might hate. Regardless of the emotion, there's something there, and it's starting to open up new frontiers in both branding and culture. When Stephen Galanis and his co-founders launched Cameo in 2016, they noticed two things happening in the celebrity landscape. One, fame itself has blown up, with more celebrities existing than in any other time in history. And two, these celebrities collectively enjoy more fame than their counterparts in the past. The overall mass of celebrity is increasing, and Cameo was built as a marketplace to give that celebrity mass more efficiency in reaching its fan base, and of course, monetizing it. As Cameo approaches its millionth video made, the company has unlocked an enormous well of unmet demand, and it's become one of the fastest growing marketplaces in the U.S. I spoke with Cameo's co-founder, Stephen Glanis, about the cultural drivers that make a company like this possible during a time like now, and how he made some very specific decisions in positioning and branding that have started to pay off. I think the first relationship actually isn't with the celebrity, but it's actually, it's really the the customer with Cameo, the brand. And I think Cameo almost becomes your connected friend. You could imagine, you know, being at a, a party and, you know, it's like the craziest party you've ever been to. And you see a section with a red velvet rope. And uh, in that row, behind that red velvet rope is is your favorite person on earth and everyone you've ever wanted to meet. And all of a sudden you're looking at the red velvet rope and you notice someone you haven't seen since high school, you know, they don't remember you, you're sure. And you vaguely remember them, but you make eye contact. They instantly recognize you. They wave you to the red velvet rope. They open it and they introduce you to every single person that you've ever wanted to meet. That's Cameo, I really believe. The secondary relationship is Cameo, the Cameo purchaser or recipient with the talent themselves. And I think that the number one reason the talent joined Cameo is to have a more personalized, authentic, one-to-one relationship with their fans. In the world of social media, that's actually harder you know, to have than ever before. Somebody might have millions of followers and they get tens of thousands of direct messages. And it's so overwhelming that it's in some ways it's harder for talent to ever interact on a one-to-one basis. So Cameo in many ways becomes a safe space where they have the time to like actually like learn your name and learn a little bit about you, unlike going to a meet and greet, you know, at Comic-Con where, you know, or or running into a star on the street and asking for their autograph, where it's such like a hasty you know, short period, like it's kind of giving them like room to breathe and interpret everything and create this completely unique piece of content along with the person that booked it that makes it so special. You know, what's really interesting too that I've noticed is it's somewhat transactional, right? You're paying for this and and you get a video created based on what you want the, the celebrity to say or to address. But I've noticed that a lot of celebrities like really speak to their fans in a very heartfelt way. Like there seems to be like heart and soul and thought that's put into these cameos, even though they're just a few seconds long. And you've mentioned in other interviews, like people like Gilbert Gottfried do so many in a day. And I think he was, you said, one of your top earners recently. Like, why do you think that is? Like, I mean, is that even sustainable? The fact that these celebrities 
are really actually making these one-on-one connections because it's new, right? Usually it's one-to-many. Like what kind of feedback are you getting from people? Like where do you think it's going? I think one of the big uncovers that we've we've had with Cameo as we've started is we've learned that price is a necessary friction which actually enables fulfillment. So the price of somebody's Cameo isn't the value of their time or it's not their net worth. It's really like a good proxy of what their fans can actually afford. And it can be throttled up or down with the willingness that talent has to do more or less of these at any given time. So if they're on tour or it's a busy season you know, for an NBA player and they're getting ready for the playoffs, they may raise their price to do less of them. If they're in the offseason or it's something like what's going on right now with COVID and every single athlete, actor, celebrity is sitting on the couch... You know, wanting to do more and wanting to have connections with their fans since their concerts are canceled and the meet and greets aren't happening and their games are postponed, what they'll do is lower their price to become more accessible. And ultimately, pricing has been the thing that's enabled any of these to get fulfilled. You know, outside of there being a price next to it, the only way you could get a cameo before cameo was to happen to know uh, the person's agent or to you know, run into them on the street and have the courage to go up to them and have that person say yes. And, you know, be of of the right mindset to like, remember that your sister is obsessed with that person. And, you know, she's graduating college this week. And, and if this person congratulated her, that would blow her mind. So it was so rare. I mean, this is something that Talon has done, not just basically since there's been front-facing selfies. People have done things like Cameo, but it, it was price that was the, the magic that enabled the fulfillment to happen. And ultimately, that's what's allowed people to have this deeper relationship than you can have on normal, normal social media, which is you know, super one-to-many and, and super transactional. You know, we have a lot of brand strategists listening to this, and I want to talk about your guys' brand strategy. You mentioned how really this brand feels like a connected friend, and your first relationship is with the brand. And I think a lot of companies that have platforms like access to experts or to thought leaders or celebrities or whoever struggle with that, right? You know, they're, the brand that is on their platform oftentimes is a lot bigger than the brand that the platform actually owns. But you guys have kind of reversed that. And I would love to know how you how you were able to do it. Because I think you're right. People do feel a connection to Cameo first. That's where like the first order of the relationship is. And then as they're filtering through and then choose their experiences, you know, that that other relationship with the celebrity comes into play with their decision making. But what have you guys done strategically or as a brand or anything with your positioning to kind of make this happen? I think it was all very intentional. I had uh, I had read a book uh, about category collect uh, category creation. I believe it was called Play to Win, and I really took that to heart. and And as we were thinking about the idea for Cameo, it was very clear that there had never been a business like this before. It was a completely new product in a completely new category, and because it was a new category, we you know had to think about how we wanted the brand to be positioned. And that's why at the very beginning, it was so critical to have the right name, Have you know, which my, my little brother came up with. We had hired a branding firm to pick the name and 
you know, four of the names that could have been cameo that weren't were <laughs> uh, hyped HYPD, Thrillo, um, what was another one? Power Move. And there was like another, oh, Hero Hub was the one that we like almost became. And, and the thing is, it's like cameo was really the perfect name. It's like we're, we're creating these tiny moments of in your life that are super impactful and memorable where, you know, somebody recognizable is coming and, and making a brief in, appearance in your life. And I think it started with the name. I think the logo was, was really critical to um, being able to develop the brand equity that we needed to make Cameo at once something that was cool enough for the most like, you know, hottest people in the world right now, but also accessible enough that, you know, someone like my dad could come on and, and purchase there. You know, we run the gamut from like super hot TikTok stars to, you know, people like Dick Van Dyke. And, and the thing that's so cool about Cameo is that while our, our top demographic for purchasing is 25 to 34, 34 to 45, 45 to 55, 55 to 65, 65 plus all buy more cameos than 18 to 24, even though 18 to 24 year olds visit the site the most. So it's really become this thing where, you know, mom can buy a cameo for, you know, her mom for Mother's Day. Like grandma can find the YouTuber that her granddaughter loves the granddaughter can find something for father's day. And, and, you know, it creates this culture of giving where we really have somebody for everyone. And that was extremely intentional from the beginning to do that. The other big brand strategic decision we made early was to choose authentic over high quality. When we first started, there were a lot of people that said things like, Hey, what you should do is you should go book a celebrity and put them in a, Hollywood warehouse for one day and have them record every possible name and every possible greeting <laughs> and have sound and lights and all this type of stuff. But at the end of the day, we had high conviction that the magic was seeing these people in their natural environments, like uh, having them be in their house or, or being in the locker room or the fact that you never know what you're going to get. And I think that anticipation of never quite knowing what is going to be said or how it's going to look is is another like hallmark of of the way that we've been able to surprise and delight so many people. You're absolutely right about that and I've been surprised I think with almost every cameo that I've seen and it's for that reason although you don't think about that you, you don't articulate it as a user you know you just you just experience it. I think that's the hallmark of a iconic brand, right? We did a lot of thinking about that so you don't have to. For us it was just it was all about how do we make you feel? And one of Cameo's corporate values, our first value is actually roll out the red carpet. And we really use that for every single interaction that a customer has with our business, a talent has with our business, or an employee or prospective employee has with our business. We're always trying to roll out the red carpet and, and make everybody feel like a, like a VIP on our platform. It makes me think also, you were talking about like celebrities like showing up in their homes, kind of like, you know, not made up, or I've seen celebrities without makeup or in their beds or at the kitchen table, things like that. And um, you always hear this old adage of like, never meet your heroes because it kind of deflates the world that you've created around them. But that's not happening here. And that's something I've been thinking about. Like, why do you think this isn't doing that? And instead, it seems to just be strengthening people's relationships. 
Uh, totally. It's actually really funny that you mentioned that. We, um, we're currently in the middle of uh, partnering with a new creative agency. And, and the agency that I just talked to before this kind of pitched... Their whole pitch was around, you know, the old adage was never meet your heroes because they'll disappoint you. But, you know, on Cameo, it's like you can meet your heroes and, and they're, they become bigger heroes of yours than ever before. And one of the things that um, we've long talked about to talent as a value prop is... The people at the other end of these cameos in many cases are your single biggest fans in the whole world, right? So the opportunity to come and talk to them and, and for you know 15 to seconds to a minute, take a tiny amount of time out of your day, but have a, such a massive impact on their life. I think it's a really powerful thing. And, and, you know, and I think that's why we haven't had that disappointment, right? Because it's just... It's so unbelievable to most of these people that this this can happen. And even in a world where, you know, Cameo now is three is three years old coming on year four. And even in a world where we've done nearly a million cameos, people are still surprised every single time, as you mentioned, you know, you get one. You never know exactly what's gonna come. And and I've always loved this idea of the talent and the customer almost co-producing a piece of content together. This is an idea that I've thought a lot about it. And and ultimately, I think that's part of it. It's like you as the customer are a huge part of the creative process here. And, and it really is much more of a partnership than like going to Hallmark and just selecting you know a, a cheeky card. Right. And then how many celebrities do you consider on the platform right now? We now have over 30,000... Talent on Cameo. Okay. So that number says so many things. One, the whole celebrity world has just completely blown up, or talent, as you say, which I want to talk about. But first, I want to ask you, how do you guys define or decide what constitutes talent that can actually be on the platform? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Historically, we had said that to be on Cameo, you either need to be a person of note or you needed to have like X amount of followers on Instagram. 20,000 followers was early the number that we picked that we saw. You know, you could be, you know, you could still do well on Cameo with that. There's actually a woman named Lee Jin from Andreessen Horowitz who just wrote a, a pretty interesting report about this. And she called the time that we're living in for creators, she calls this whole economy the passion economy. And one of the big parts of her research was that today, with the direct-to-consumer monetization platforms like Cameo or Patreon or Substack, a creator only needs a hundred true fans to actually like support them. You know, if you can get a hundred people to pay a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars a year to support you, you know, you can like you can make a living and you can actually support yourself. So I think that that's. A pretty interesting concept, and I think Cameo is part of a larger trend of direct-to-consumer uh, monetization for talent um, in every industry, and and there's good reason for that. On YouTube, the top three percent of creators makes ninety-seven percent of all the ad revenue. On Spotify, the top one percent of musicians makes one percent of all the streaming revenue, and off the platform, they make the vast majority of the concert and merch revenue as well. So I think this like. This A plus versus long tail problem is something that exists in every single genre. So the fact that we never built Cameo to like make Drake more money, we really built Cameo to be a place where 
talent could monetize their social in a way that's actually brand positive. So our our core value prop to talent is you know, you are getting paid to become more famous on Cameo. Mm. You were talking about how we're at a point where people can have like deep engagement with their audiences, but not necessarily be that big. And that kind of authenticity is what you were looking for. And it kind of brings me to this concept of like culture. I know we talked about celebrity culture a little bit, but I want to know, you know, I know that you guys um, have gotten a lot of press and I'm guessing your numbers have jumped because of COVID because, you know, people have the time or maybe people are just seeking like some sort of creature comfort or connection. But before COVID even, you were really starting to skyrocket. Why do you think culturally right now we're ready to receive something like Cameo? Because I, I don't know that we would have been 10, maybe even five years ago. Totally. I think that's a great question. So to answer it, yes, we have seen a huge boost in our business since COVID started. Bookings are actually up a thousand percent since COVID started. Ahead of that, we were already the fastest growing consumer marketplace business in the country. So Cameo had been growing really fast ahead of COVID. But I think the reason that we've really seen this explode is on the supply side, on the talent side. Like I mentioned, um, nobody talks about this, but every single talent at, at scale is really a gig economy worker. They get paid per game. They get paid per concert. They get paid per appearance. And right now in a world of shelter in place, everybody is out of work. And historically, a lot of people that we had talked to that said, hey, Cameo is cool, but I, I, you know, I'm making too much money to be on it or I don't have time to do it. They're suddenly you know, not having income coming in and, they're, and they have a lot more time because they're sitting on the couch like us. So I think that, that really has caused our business to turbocharge maybe multiple years in the future. I think it's very similar to what you've seen with Zoom. Prior to COVID, there were 10 million monthly active users on Zoom. After COVID, there are now 300 million daily active users. So I think something like COVID and the shelter-in-place orders largely prompted social change and cultural change to just accelerate. And you know, I know we've certainly been a, a beneficiary of that. Secondly, on like the why now, so even outside of COVID, I think it really comes down to the proliferation of more social platforms. So today, if you look at the most, some of the most famous people on earth, whether it's Justin Bieber or Chance the Rapper, right? These people came up on YouTube and SoundCloud, respectively. You know, David Dobrik has the highest engagement on Instagram, who's a, a huge vlogger, right? And, and was an original Vine star. And I think one thing that's interesting is the new, the celebrity of 2020 is very, very different than the celebrity of the 80s or the 90s when, you know, the classic like Michael Ovid CAA model, you know, was holding Tom Cruise out of commercials or television shows because that would hurt him getting a movie deal. Today, because social and Snapchat, I think, started this, but then Instagram story and TikTok now and, and YouTube. Because social media enables talent to have the ability to interact with their fans on a daily basis, that is becoming the expectation, mm-hmm. right? And it's now weird that it would be weird if JLo wasn't on TikTok, but you know, maybe th- five years ago, it would have been unthinkable that she ever would have been doing it, right? 
And I think when you're looking at the biggest celebrities on earth, whether it's Kim Kardashian or Justin Bieber, you know, they go on ins- on Instagram every single day and make Instagram stories for free because their fans are demanding this content. But over the last five years, you've seen less of Angelina Jolie or mm-hmm. you know Jennifer Aniston or Brad Pitt or, or George Clooney because... Again, they're kind of these old Hollywood stars that, while they're a plus and iconic, they haven't embraced that um, you know the, the tools that are available on social as much as as some other folks. And and I also think too that every social media platform has kind of created its own stars. And you know when you think of uh, you know Twitter, you think of like Ashton Kutcher and 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 Shaq being like two of the people that just like skyrocketed to fame because of that platform. Or, or when you think of Snapchat, it's all about DJ Khaled. And mm-hmm. when you think about Instagram, it's the Kardashians and the Jenners that just took that platform and and went to another level. But I saw the Hollywood Reporter did a big feature on TikTok. And the most famous person on TikTok is a, is a girl named Carly that's got 50 million followers. And she's just like a, a random girl from like Connecticut or something like that, yeah. like a 17-year-old girl. So I think that's another interesting thing is that every single platform creates its own talent that are uniquely situated for it. And that's why you see on Cameo, someone like Gilbert Godfrey, for example, or Michael Rappaport, they are not the most famous people on the platform, but they might be the best at delivering on the value prop that Cameo uniquely gives. And if their content and their videos are ultimately better, that trumps how famous uh, they are in comparison to other people. And that enables them to do better. One other uh, general thesis I have about why now for Cameo, I believe that today there are more famous people on earth than there's ever been at any point in history. And secondly, I believe that fame is more enduring and lasting than ever before because of social media. Imagine mm. you're a one-hit wonder in 2020. You may have the biggest song in the world like Lil Nas X did last year with uh, Old Town Road. And you may develop 20, 30 million followers on social media. And those people are going to stick with you no matter what. You don't like unfollow people on social. So going forward, these people now have a platform that they can monetize off for the rest of their life. Where mm-hmm. when you know you and I were kids, like who knows what happened to Chumbawamba, but you know their song was every bit as big as Old Town Road, you know, twenty thirty years ago. But now we, nobody knows where they are, right? So I think that's a huge point. And one of our theses is in about Cameo is that there are we believe there's two point five million people in the world today that could charge for cameos to be talent, and we believe that number will double in the next five years. Is you know, TikTok and SoundCloud and YouTube and all these new platforms keep churning out new emerging talent. I also think, you know, with every Netflix show, we see new stars. So far this year, the most booked people on Cameo have been people like Jerry Harris from Cheers or the cast of The Tiger King. You know, these wow. people literally out of nowhere are are doing better on Cameo than people that have been famous for 20 years. So um, you know, that's another aspect, I think, of the culture that enables, you know, really gave rise to Cameo. That's super interesting. And then you talk about these other platforms where talent is developed in, in non-traditional ways. It's not like, you know, the usual path to becoming famous or a celebrity. Can you see a future where Cameo might be the platform where people kind of start to develop their 
their fame and, and, and grow through that kind of relationship instead of like through social and content? I think it's certainly possible. But the thing that I think is really interesting about our positioning is that we, we kind of today, like we let people get famous in whatever capacity it is, whether that's, you know, from YouTube or Netflix or SoundCloud or Instagram. But ultimately, we are the place that everybody can go to engage with their fans on a one-to-one basis and monetize their social in a brand positive way. So I really like that positioning for us. Would it be very cool if the next Justin Bieber emerged on Cameo versus YouTube? Like, yes, of course. I think that we're constantly thinking about ways to help promote, especially the long tail of talent and, and figure out you know, how to take some of the people that are making the best videos in the world that might be unknown. Like, how do we surface those folks better? But for right now, I think it's, you know, our, our place in, in being the best place in the world to connect directly with your fans. I believe that's a really strong position to be into. And, you know, we're happy to fill that role. So on the user side, as we get closer to our cultural heroes and leaders and celebrities and whoever as fans and platforms like Cameo give us such intimate one-to-one connections and actual like, yeah, they're one-way. Well, they're actually, they're kind of two-way conversations because you put in a request and you get an answer back. Is this sustainable? Like what's going to happen? Like what comes after this? Yeah, that's a great question. From our perspective, we believe it's really diving even deeper into that back and forth and facilitating two-way conversations. The next product that we're launching is called Cameo Direct. And in that product, you'll be able to direct message anyone on the platform and start a texting conversation back and forth with them, which you know I think goes to your point of, of making Cameo A, something more accessible for somebody to do to themselves. But B, it actually helps deepen the relationship and and makes the use cases for giving a cameo or engaging with the platform, it opens it up infinitely. And and then suddenly, you know, you could see texting for advice or asking, you know, a recommendation for something or micro coaching or mentorship. And I'm really excited about the early data that we've seen in our beta test of that product. And I think it'll it has the potential to completely transform what we're doing. You know, I did want to ask you, what would be your prediction for the future of social? Like, let's say in 10 years, social or, or, or celebrity culture, like what's your craziest prediction that none of us see coming? If you had to just throw one out there. I think the craziest prediction I have is that you're going to see the rise of, of avatars and things like Lil Michaela. So I believe that the, the, the celebrities of tomorrow may not even be human or living, but they may be computer generated or they may be, you know, things like characters in Fortnite, for example. Mm -hmm. So that I think is pretty crazy. But in the interim, you know, I do believe that the pure amount of fame in the world is increasing. I have really strong convictions about that and I believe that will happen. But I just saw uh, Lil Michaela got signed by, I believe, CAA this week. And <laughs> this is the first time I, that I know of that a non-human has been signed by a major Hollywood talent agency. And I think you will start to see more fast followers there and more things like that. So that's probably my crazy prediction. 
And I'm guessing you would want her on Cameo. For sure. And animation, um, like, look, my, my co-founder, Martin, has twin six-year-old daughters. So ever since we started the platform, he was always like, man, if we could get the Smurfs or we could get My Little Pony <laughs> on here or the Disney princesses, my daughters, you know, Sabrina and Savannah would, would absolutely go nuts. <laughs> so we've always thought about that. And we've had some really interesting discussions with different studios about how to do it. But as of now, the technology to create personalized versus stock uh, animations is is pretty laborious right now and it's not quite there but I do believe that it'll eventually be there and you know I don't see there be any reason why every Disney princess you know couldn't be on cameo in the future Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is for Aunt Laura, and it's being sent by Jeff. Now, Jeff uh, says he forgot to send you a thank you card for Christmas. How the hell you forget a thing like that? How difficult is that to remember? Anyway, he claims he forgot it, which means he didn't think you were worth uh, spending a dollar on The nature of celebrity has changed over the past 10 years, but even before the internet, celebrity was starting to change with normal people becoming stars on reality TV or talk shows or game shows. Obviously, as time has moved on and with the proliferation of social media platforms, we've all become a lot more engaged in fan culture. And not too long ago, the influencer was born, a new kind of celebrity that's starting to change the rules. We feel remarkably close to these people. There's something happening here culturally, and it starts with our relationships. Cameo has captured an emotional layer in celebrity culture that is really resonating right now. But to understand why this is happening, we need to understand how celebrity fan relationships operate. Sociologists call these parasocial relationships, and chances are you're in a parasocial relationship right now. A parasocial relationship is an on-screen or online relationship with someone who you are not interacting with face-to-face. So the whole thing is conducted by social media now, but also a parasocial relationship would refer to the kind of relationship you have with people on television, people in film, people that you'll never meet, but with whom you develop strong attachments in many cases. This is Professor Chris Rojek. He's a sociologist who has written extensively about celebrity culture, its evolution, and how it sets certain norms for our interactions and behaviors. His most recent book, Lifestyle Gurus, co-authored with Stephanie A. Baker, is about how authority and influence are achieved online. In 2015, he published Presumed Intimacy, where he discusses media power structures, the impact of relationships of presumed intimacy with our celebrities, and of course, parasocial relationships. I talked to Chris about my own parasocial relationship with the TV show The Office. I've watched every episode of The Office multiple times. I know the plot points in every episode, and even though I don't really laugh at the jokes anymore, I might throw the show on in the background if I'm anxious or bored because it feels familiar. I feel like I'm in The Office with my friends. It's easy and it's safe, and I can relax with people or characters that I know personally and intimately. According to Chris, this is a classic parasocial relationship, and it's a trick of the mind. What you're describing is actually 
self-deception. You are thinking you are with friends and everybody is thinking in the same way as you are, but you don't know that since you can't see the audience. So it's a kind of confidence trick that brings you into a term I've used uh, elsewhere and into a relationship of presumed intimacy. Usually when you get to know someone, you develop intimacy as a result of trial and error. But presumed intimacy is automatic, and it comes from on-screen, online trust relations that you formulate with figures that you like. That's interesting. And is there like a biological predisposition to this? I mean, this is such a universal thing that people experience. Like, why do we form these parasocial relationships? Well, the answer to that really is not so much biological, but social. If you look at societies, when they move from the struggle for survival, they get involved in a struggle for acceptance and approval. Once the survival question has been handled, once we've got enough food, we all have accommodation and so on, we become much more concerned with the kind of impact we have on people and the kind of impact they have on us. So this whole celebrity culture relates to changes in the personality structure of Westerners. And then what's led to the rise of this? I mean, I think it's fair to say that parasocial relationships or or what we're describing here has probably flourished generation after generation as more and more media becomes a part of our lives. Over the last generation specifically, have there been like events or, or developments or technologies that you think have really led to where we are now? Well, to answer that, I have to wind back a little bit because parasocial relationships are very, very contemporary, really. The, the, the people who developed the concept were called Horton and Wall to Americans and a paper published in 1956. And what struck them was the rise of television that hadn't been there before. You had mass television in the States. And suddenly you were getting ordinary people fall, falling in love with weather girls or newsreaders and following <laughs> what, whatever the weather girl did. And then the magazines and news, the, the magazines and newspapers reinforced that by having interviews with the weatherman and the the weather girl, and so you began to feel you knew about their private lives and began to feel you're immersing yourself in a friendship relationship with them. Although, as you said before, parasocial relationships are largely one sided. You you don't really have much power to impact the on screen or online presence. In addition to what I've said, in order to clarify your question, we have to make a distinction about different types of celebrity. And there are three types. The first is ascribed celebrity. These are people born into fame, people like the Queen in this country, Prince William, anybody who acquires social prestige through bloodline. They were pretty dominant until the 1800s, 1900s, when democracy and industrialization took off, and they were kind of elbowed out to a certain degree by achieved celebrities. These are the dominant type. An achieved celebrity is a movie star, a sports idol, a pop star, somebody who's achieved fame as a result of their talents and accomplishments. The third type is called selitoid, and a selitoid is someone who is famous for short periods of time and then is entirely forgotten. And these are becoming far more plentiful in society, mainly because the uh, TV and social media outlets revolve around them. They want to find people who are sort of interesting for a few days, then they're dropped, uh, and people then move on to the next sellitoid. 
people think of celebrity as if it's just all the same, but actually it's quite important to make those distinctions. And just to give you some sense of the dynamic involved here, Princess Diana was, to begin with, an ascribed celebrity. That is to say, she was an aristocrat who married the future King of England. But it was only when she went on television and talked about three people being in this marriage that she became a supernova celebrity, somebody that everybody was talking about. She achieved celebrity because she was going through something as a woman, a married woman, that many married women go through, you know, cheating, adultery, these kind of things. So in trying to understand her popularity, we have to use two lines of thought. One is that she was born into fame, but in showing her vulnerability to the world audience, she actually magnified that original fame. What you're describing here is something that, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've also talked about micro-celebrities as well, which I think are a subcategory of the celetoids. Is that correct? Again, let me rewind it and try and focus it in context. In the 1960s, there was something that academics talked about, which was the nod count. The nod count was the number of people you are on nodding terms with, but who you never really talk to. So they're people that you notice on your local railway station in the mornings when you catch the train. They may be the guy you buy your coffee from. You're aware of them, but you don't really formulate relationships with them. In the 60s, though, most people were thought to have about 100 of those kind of relationships. With social media, we now have those kind of relationships in the thousands because we're following lives online, following lines, uh, lives on blog sites with people who we never really interact with but who we are very, very informed with. It's a huge paradox that when we meet a celebrity, we know a lot about their private life automatically as a result of following them. That's quite different from me meeting you. If I met you, we'd have to get to know each other. But with a celebrity, the being is known before the encounter. It's a kind of strange dynamic. Yeah, and you've described... um this self-disclosure as a product, you know, the idea of disclosing parts of your personal life like that, that yeah, um, yeah. helps you in some ways acquire attention capital, as you described. And it's, it's interesting. I can, I feel like we can see that with like our Instagram influencers today, but you have to remember that even somebody like Princess Diana, like she did disclose parts of her personal life. Um, and that was how she managed her celebrity, I guess you could say in some ways. She didn't just disclose, she manipulated the media to get her own way. I mean, she was an abused woman in the relationship, but she knew what she was doing with those interviews with Martin Bashir. She was creating space where people would identify with her in her plight. You asked about micro-celebrity. That is slightly different from Celetoid in that a micro-celebrity is someone who builds up a blogging site and has many, many followers. And there are now thousands of these sites available. Um, last year I was teaching a course and I asked an Italian student uh, about micro-celebrity and he said, in Italy, I am a micro-celebrity. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and he said, I have 55,000 followers. And I say, said to him, well, what do you talk about? What do you do? And he said, nothing. I just say, I woke up, I went to the lecture. It was a nice day. But he, has he says he has 55,000 people following them. Now, there are more and more and more of these micro-celebrities. And they are known in the literature as social media influencers. That is to say, they're not just friends, but they shape opinions and they can also shape buying habits. 
Bill Gibson is an Australian who created a site in uh, the last 10 years called The Whole Pantry. And that was a site giving recipes and advice for people who were suffering from cancer. She claimed that she had suffered from cancer. And in following the dietary advice that she was giving to others on site, she'd cured herself. She got many, many followers, hundreds of thousands. And she also signed a book, uh, book deal with Penguin for a cookbook called, called The Whole Pantry. She became Australian Cosmopolitan Woman of the Year. And then it was discovered that she'd lied from start to finish. She'd never had um, any kind of cancer. She'd never been to a hospital. She just made it all up. You may say, so what? The real issue here is that many of the followers who followed her are now dead because one of the things she was advising people to do is not to take chemotherapy, not to take radiotherapy, just to use whole food solutions to their plight. Now, this kind of advice is fairly unregulated. I mean, she prospered for quite a few years, but it's also lethal. And micro-celebrity, particularly in the area of health, but also in the area of how to get a job, how to find a partner, how to look cool, micro-celebrities can have huge opinion formation influence without much accountability. Yeah, there was something that you had written about that really drove this point home for me because, you know, lifestyle influencers in the U.S. are a huge force right now. Yeah. And a lot of millennials and, and Gen Z consumers, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I think a lot of people do get their lifestyle and health cues from these kinds of influencers. And you said something that was so interesting. You said they rise to fame in a culture that continues to associate heroism with overcoming pain and suffering. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, many of these micro-celebrity sites um, are set up in the same way. The person who is uh, running the site presents themselves as somebody who's overcome a hurdle. It may be health, it may be uh, bankruptcy, it may be some life problem that they've got to grips with. And in doing that, they have solved the problem. And that's really the basis for their authority. That's why people listen to them. I think you've even described that this can happen even after a star has had a misstep or fallen with the para-confessional, as you describe it. And I think Belle Gibson even did that, you know, when she apologized and she disclosed, you know, she tried to explain why she had lied about these things. She captivated our attention again. Yeah, I mean, the the classic case is Tiger Woods and David Letterman, um, both of whom had committed adultery. Uh, Tiger Woods lied about it to begin with and pretended it hadn't happened. And therefore, when he had to come clean and admit that he had committed serial adultery, the public never really forgave him. David Letterman was in the same position, but what he did was immediately go on television, primetime television, and say he was being blackmailed because of his adultery, and he confessed on live to the audience that this has happened. So celebrities who are kind of honest and straight get a lot more purchasing power with their fans than those that try and pull the wool over their eyes. Is there something positive here in kind of seeing these people who, for who they actually are, people with flaws, and accepting them for that? Yeah, I think it's quite hard to generalize about celebrities because an individual celebrity may influence people in very positive ways. They're not all bad influences. Celebrities present perfection. But the problem with that is that perfection does not exist. It's always manufactured. People are always straining to give a particular impression. 
which cannot be actually sustained. So people sometimes say to me when we reach this point in the discussion, will we get beyond celebrity? Well, we won't. And the reason for that is, quite apart from the things we've spoken about already, celebrities I like to think of as primarily informal life coaches. That is to say, they give tips about how to look good, what the right things to say are, how to hold your body. This is important because seven out of 10 jobs in America and Europe are in the service sector. They're people skills jobs, communication, information, knowledge, retailing. The people who have the best people skills are celebrities. That's why they're paid so much. And they play an important part in present day life in giving people hints about how to behave. I'm not suggesting that they do this by design. I'm just saying that by presenting themselves as successful individuals, people pick up on what has made those individuals successful. The second reason why I think celebrity will not disappear is celebrities give us two things. First of all, they give us escapism. We can get away from the monotony of our lives by following a celebrity of our choice. But perhaps more importantly, they give us at a time when religion, at least organized religion, is in decline, they give us a sense of transcendence, a bigger personality, a bigger story than our life scripts, the life scripts that we lead. So celebrities in that sense provide a, an important sense of grounding for individuals. You can follow, if you're interested in Tom Hanks, you don't have to contact Tom Hanks. You may not know how to contact him, but you can find out what he's doing on a daily basis simply by looking at the internet. You can develop a relationship with him over time, which is one of presumed intimacy, one of, of, of closeness. Do you ever indulge in any parasocial relationships yourself? I mean, we're all human. I know you study this stuff day in and day out, and it's been your, your life's work. But, I mean, do you have any parasocial relationships or, or, or interactions? I think we have parasocial relationships. I have a parasocial relationship with Donald Trump. I follow whatever he's saying when it comes out and shake my head in wonder. You can't avoid parasocial relationships because they're the relationships of our time. We are relating to individuals that we don't know on a kind of minute by minute basis. When we look at the internet, we're finding out about people who are famous and we're following stories about them. And those stories interlock with certain aspects of our own life. So you might as well stop eating uh, 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 in terms of trying to stop being influenced by parasocial relationships. They are ubiquitous. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Unseen Unknown. We hope you enjoyed it and the other episodes we've published so far. We feel really passionate about helping you understand business through culture. And if you like what you're listening to, please leave us a review or give us a shout out. We'd love to connect. And if you want more brand strategy insights, we have a newsletter where we share our writing, our conversations, videos, events, and you can subscribe by going to our website, conceptbureau.com and clicking on the insights tab. We'll talk to you next time.